You're listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Again, good to see everybody. Those of you here with us at Holmes Avenue and those of you joining us online, glad to have everybody here with us today. I just want to um, remind you during this time, uh, if you uh, would like to give generously to uh, the mission and working of what God is doing here at Holmes Avenue, those options are there on the screen for you. Uh, But we really just want to encourage you to continue to seek the Lord about ways in which you can be giving and to give generously uh, during uh, this time, this this season of of what we celebrate with Operation Christmas Child, the season of joy, the good news, great joy uh, that we're about to enter into in the coming weeks with Advent leading up to Christmas and remembering uh, what God did for us by sending his only son uh, to come on our behalf. And so I want to encourage you um, to prayerfully consider how uh, you can be doing that. Uh, And if you are, praise God for it. But if you aren't, maybe there's some ways in which you can be praying of how you could be giving generously. I want to bring to your attention, if this is your first time with us or first time in a while, we have been journeying through Paul's second missionary journey in our mini-series through the book of Acts. And uh, we've got this week, we've got next week, and then we'll take a break and go into our Advent series, The Promise. Uh, So that is coming soon. Uh, But we are now in this next to last week looking at Paul's second missionary journey. And as we're doing that, I want to ask you, have you in your life as a follower of Jesus, since coming to faith in Jesus, have you ever had a person come alongside of you and teach you, disciple you is what we would call it? Have you had that person, maybe there's been multiple people in your life that have done that, and they've taught you lessons that they've learned throughout their time of following Jesus? I can think for myself personally, uh, there's a, a few men that, that roll off of my tongue um, that were pastors in the ministry that very early on in ministry took me under their wing to teach me uh, what it means to follow Christ and also to pursue ministry. Uh, one was the uh, Eddie Willis, who was the pastor at Friendship for years that married Miranda and I. Uh, he took me alongside of him under his wing uh, very early on and taught me what it means to love and follow the Lord and also contribute uh, to the work that he's called me to. And I got to witness him and, and see the things in which he was doing in the ministry uh, that I got lessons from. Uh, another person that did that throughout my time was a man named Chuck Mayo that was a Northwood Baptist. And, and Chuck took me and, and Adam Spurlock and some other guys under his wing and discipled us through a period of time. And then the other person was Adam Spurlock while I was at Restoration. And every single one of these men in different time periods were showing me ways in which they were following the Lord. And I was able to watch and learn from their example. So I'm curious if you've had someone like that in your life. If you would say no, I want to encourage you when we are finished with the service today to talk to Pastor Walter and I so we can talk with you about what it means to be discipled and we can get that started for you. But I think about that in the context of what we see with this passage today. 
Here we are looking at this message, this section of Scripture, Acts 17, uh, verses 16 through 34. You see it there on the screen, and I've entitled it Lessons from the Mission. And as we saw last week, Paul has left Silas and Timothy and Berea, and he sailed off to Athens. And here now, while he's in Athens, he has now sent for them to come and meet him. But we pick up here, while he's waiting, what happens. Now, this is a little bit of a lengthier passage, so we're just going to dive right on into the text. I want to ask you to stand for this, uh, and we'll, we'll get it as it comes. But before we do that, will you join me in a word of prayer? Father in heaven, Lord, we are so grateful for you. We're thankful, God, for this day that we have to celebrate these collection of shoeboxes, Lord. To celebrate what you've done through your church here at Holmes Avenue and the, the generosity here, Lord. It's such a beautiful display, a tangible expression right here in front of us. God, we thank you so much for Brenda and her leading. God, we thank you so much for all the volunteers that even yesterday came out and packed these shoe boxes. God, we thank you, Lord, for where these things are going to go forth. God, we thank you, Lord, that we're able to do this because we have seen grace and mercy given to us by you through your love, sending your son Jesus to die for us. And the joy of this season that we're entering into to reflect upon your coming and what it means for us ultimately through your death and resurrection. Lord, I pray over this time now as we open your word, God, that you would be glorified during this time. Lord, I pray as always, Lord, that the meditations of my heart, the words of my mouth would be pleasing unto you. May you increase, may we decrease, and you have your way in us today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we will learn from this passage today, pretty, I would say greatly from this passage, lessons of Paul's time spent in Athens and the lessons by which we see that we can learn to apply to the mission that God's called us to today. So with that said, I hope you're taking notes. The the first point is to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 of the passage reads, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. It says here that he's provoked by the Spirit. He sees all of these idols that are being worshipped. And it, 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 it wells up him. There's something that should be done about this. There's something that is wrong. It's very unsettling for Paul to see this. And it's important to note that Paul is continually revealed things by God through the Holy Spirit. We've already covered through this many different things that we could address, but even more recently, the whole point of the second missionary journey, the call to go to Macedonia where the man appears to him in a vision and God has told Paul to go and he knows immediately he needs to go. So he gets with the brothers and says, we must go and do this. We see also here in this moment, the spirit has provoked him because of what he sees with the idols. Yes, of course, this is Paul, the great apostle. One of the men in scripture that writes the majority of the New Testament. He is highly looked upon by us, the church, to see, look at the example of Paul. But yes, he's also just a mere sinful man saved by God's grace like you and I. God used him greatly, don't get me wrong. But Paul, one of the reasons he was used so powerfully by God is because he continually denied himself. 
He took up his cross and he followed Jesus. He walked in step with the Holy Spirit daily. He followed the Lord and moved in the way in which he wanted him to do. Let's ask a reflective question for a moment. Do we do the same? Don't answer that out loud. Think about that for a moment. Ponder it. Do we do the same? Are we walking in step with the Holy Spirit daily? Are we denying ourselves daily and following Christ? Verse 17 reads, So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day while those who happened to, with those who happened to be there. So we see this response to this, this provoking of the Spirit in Paul. He acts upon it. He sees the worship of idols and begins to go, and he reasons in the synagogues first with the Jews. He goes in there just as customary measure. He goes any time that he sees the synagogue, he'll go in and begin to proclaim and reason with the Jews, the devout people. But he also goes out into the marketplace. I can see Paul speaking as, as every opportunity he has. And he has those that are there that are listening, that are paying attention to his words. Which leads me to ask another reflective question. Are we ready and willing to speak the good news of the gospel to the people we encounter? Verse 18 reads, Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and said, What does this blabbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So he goes and now begins to speak, and these philosophers hear him speaking of the gospel. That the Epicureans and the Stoics, they were two of the leading philosophy, uh, philosophical schools of the day. You see, in the Greco-Roman world, they didn't necessarily go to universities like we have here. Right? They, they wouldn't just go and do that. They would pay good money to go and be able to follow and pay attention to the teachings that were being said amongst themselves by well-known philosophers. See, they sought, the Epicureans sought what would be considered, as we would say, the good life. They wanted the good life. They sought to live in peaceful times. They, they wanted to be content with everything. The Stoics... They believed what we would call fate. And that the best way to live was for each person to just take responsibility for self-discipline and avoid extremes in all directions. See, neither of these groups believed in any type of gods, little g or even the big G, but they didn't know him. They didn't believe in any type of gods being involved in the day-to-day -day functions of their lives. They're lost as can be. Lost as can be. See, there's also this issue, I'm giving you some big words here, this issue of syncretism, which is this blending of these different thought processes and ideas, these religions, these worldviews. So it's this melting pot of all this stuff coming. And when you have a melting pot of all that stuff coming, you do not have biblical truth. You have a lot of junk here, pick this, we'll pick that. Oh, this sounds good, let's throw it in here with that. And they have this huge melting pot of all these things being spoken and taught. Now let's stop for a moment and ask ourselves a question. Does this sound familiar to anything that we know? 
This is our world today. This is our world today. We hear the culture say, hey, choose your own truth. You do you. Believe what you want to believe. And because that is what is being poured out, people are taking it, they're listening to it, and they're grabbing this piece here from this shelf and this piece here from this one, and they're formatting their own worldview. Lost as can be. As Christians... We must not dabble in this type of living, but instead, we must keep our eyes focused on Christ. We must be devoted to the scriptures. We must learn from the mentors that have gone before us, the lessons from the mission that God has called each of these people to that have penned these words of scripture divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. We must learn from trusted sources People who have lived the life following after Jesus, have they messed up from time to time? Yeah, of course. They're sinners saved by God's grace. But they have continually, earnestly sought to keep their eyes on Jesus. That is who we should follow and listen to. Ultimately following Jesus. But under his leadership, those type of individuals, the word of God, allowing this to form our thoughts allowing this to transform us by the renewal of our mind. See, some notice that Paul is preaching some type of foreign religion, and they call him a babbler. They're noticing there's something different here than what we're used to hearing. Look at verse 19. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? They were curious. They wanted to know, what is this that you're talking about? This is new to us. So in a sense, that's good, right? They wanted to hear what this was that he was saying. They were curious. Look at verses 20 through 21. For you bring some strange things to our ears, and we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So here they are at the Areopagus, which is translated the hill of Ares or Mars. It's where we get Mars Hill. And so he's there, and there's this idea of they would come and they would gather to hear all of these different things. So Paul's there, and they've asked him, Tell us what you're talking about. What does this mean? And we know from Scripture, you ask Paul to do something like that, Paul's going to give you the gospel. See, Paul's walking instead with the Holy Spirit. While he's there in Athens, he's awaiting them to join him. Waiting on the brothers to come and join him. And in this moment, God provokes him through the Spirit to show him, hey, Pay attention, Paul, to what's going on right now around you. So Paul walks in step with the Spirit and follows through. See, these people want to know these strange things that are being taught, and Luke informs us that these people would spend their time doing nothing but explaining new things that they've heard. And it's the prime time for Paul. So he's ready. I want to encourage you, church, Walk in step with the Holy Spirit. 
If you have questions of how to do that, talk with us afterwards. We'll help you. Secondly, not only do we walk in step with the Holy Spirit, but we need to know our context. Know your context. This is a very applicable type message today. Know your context. Verse 22 reads, So Paul, standing in the midst of Areopagus, says, Men of Athens, I perceive that you in every way are very religious. So he begins his proclamation of the gospel to say, Hey, I've paid attention when I got here and I noticed some things. I perceive that you guys are very religious. Which goes into verses 23. First we'll go with 23. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. See, Paul is being very careful to pay attention to his context. He's noticing that as he sees the worshiping of these idols, he sees this altar that says to the unknown God. And for Paul, he knows the one true God. You see, he's very aware that these people that are around him are worshiping false idols. They have no idea of who God is. These Gentiles, they have no clue. And so Paul, being very aware of that, begins to proclaim the gospel. And he does it very carefully, going from the beginning of time. Now, over the course of these next few verses, I'm going to give you some little subtitle points for this. They'll be on the screen for you to follow along with. But the first one for verse 24 is this. God is creator. This still falls under know your context, okay? God is creator. Look at verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. He starts off this proclamation of the gospel to point out the fact that God, the one true God, big G, is creator, not created. He is the creator. He doesn't live in these temples created by the hands of his own creation. He says the world and everything in it. It declares to his listeners, hey, God knows you because he created you. There's this theological defense that God is, I mean, that Paul is giving, that God is giving through Paul here in this moment to these people. And in knowing the context, this is where Paul starts. And we need to pay attention to how Paul is doing this. That's why it's lessons from the mission. Because, folks, the world we live in today, they've got to understand who God is continually from the beginning. Secondly, in verse 25, God is the sustainer of life. God is the sustainer of life. Verse 25 reads, Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. See, there's no need to believe that God needs something from his creation, doesn't need anything from mankind. He isn't in need of anything because he is the one who created and gives everything. So he is the sustainer of life. He's the creator and sustainer of life. Verse 26 points out the fact that God is ruler of the nations. God is ruler of the nations. Verse 26. 
And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Beginning with Adam, God has made mankind from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. The multitude of ethnicities and diverse people are all a part of God's design. Now, when Paul says they're having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, there could be a little bit of, of, of confusion there, a little bit of scholars agreeing and disagreeing on two different things. It could be the fact that some believe that it can reference his sovereignty over seasons and borders between habitable regions and wildernesses. That comes out of the Psalms. Or God's sovereignty over the rise and fall of nations and the boundaries between them, which comes out of Deuteronomy. Either way... This points to God's sovereignty. God is the creator. He's the sustainer of life. And goodness gracious, he is sovereign over the world in which he created. Verse 27 points us to the fact that God is knowable. God is knowable. What does that mean? Verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps steal their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. See, here Paul's beginning to get to the heart of the matter in his proclamation of the gospel. Recall what I stated earlier about those philosophers, right? They believed that their gods were detached. The gods were detached from every bit of day-to-day daily living. Yet here, they hear this is a God, the God, who knows them and can be found by him. That's very interesting for these people to hear. It's very interesting for the people that we engage with that are far from God but close to us to hear today. Because there Paul says, perhaps they feel their way towards him and find him. What does that mean? Well, it's this image of like a blind person walking through trying to find things and and groping after things to find their way. And see here in this, Tony Morita in his commentary points out the fact that in the wording there, the word that he uses there, it points to this idea of the same type word that Homer used in the story that he wrote about the cyclops, the one-eyed cyclops. And this one-eyed cyclops, his eye is taken out and therefore he cannot see. So he begins to grope around to find his way. Why is Paul pointing this out to these people? He's pointing it out to them to tell them, hey, you can find God, but it's as if you're walking around as a blind person trying to find your way because you're blinded by your sin. You're blinded by your sin. Mankind is blind in their sin. Without God, we go through this life searching blindly. We try to find hope and need to sustain us and give us life through worldly things. And all they do is leave us empty and longing for more. Yet God is the one who can give every bit of what we need. If you recall the story of the woman at the well. She's coming to the well and Jesus is telling her, What you need is only what I can give you. Living water. All of this is to say that God can be found because he is near. 
God is also the father of humanity, verses 28 and 29. God is the father of humanity, verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. You see, here in verse 28, Paul begins to quote some other philosophers at the time. Here he's quoting Epimendes of Crete. He wrote of the nearness and sustaining power of God. But secondly, he also quotes Erastus, a a Stoic author who wrote of man's creation in the image of God. Because that second part says, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. See, why does Paul do this? He knows the context in which he's speaking to, and he's helping bring out sources to bring these people to understand who God is. Look at verse 29. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. See, here in 29, Paul's referring to our likeness to God in the sense that we are created beings in his image. Paul's arguing is that for this reason, for this reason, we cannot think that God is made in gold or silver or any created imagination of man. It's important to note that Paul has been able to do what he's doing here in these verses time and time again in his accounts with people. What do you mean, Pastor Brian? Well, a couple weeks ago, I referenced this passage. I'll reference it again. 1 Corinthians 9, 21 through 23. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. You see, Paul... Here for these people. I told you a moment ago, he started from creation. Paul doesn't go in and start at John 3.16. Why not? See, for us, it'd be easy. Like We would say, well, it's easy. We should go and we should just start from John 3.16. No, we have to understand our context. John 3.16 is the good news of the gospel. Don't get me wrong. But for these people, these are not the people in the synagogues that are the Jews that have context to understand that there was a coming Messiah and then Paul being able to articulate, well, John 3.16, or and it, that's just an example, but that would articulate the fact that, hey, that Messiah that's coming, it's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You see, Paul has to start with these Gentiles at creation, understanding who they were, what their thought process was, and he's able to meet them where they are and give them an apologetic of who God is. It's a game changer when we understand our context. Tony Marina, this is on the screen for you. He says in his commentary, we need to lay a basic framework in which Jesus makes sense to those who know little about him. What he's saying here is what I just said in regard to what Paul has done here. He understands his audience, his context, and is able to speak to it to give them a complete understanding of who God is. You see, one of the realities that we need to understand, church, 
is that we are not in a predominantly Christian culture anymore. 10, 15 years ago, yeah, that might have been the case. But it is quickly, quickly changing. Quickly changing. People have worldviews that have been determined based on life experiences, teachings they've adopted, and things even that they get from the media. There are so many different worldviews and perspectives now that are out there. We don't necessarily live in the Bible Belt anymore. This weekend while I was away with Miranda on our couples retreat that we went to, I was talking to Craig Tuck, and I asked him, I said, hey, I'm, I'm talking about this, and do you, can you give me like an updated number just of the Tri-County area just so I can say it? Now, this is Tri-County area. Remember that. But the reality of this is deafening. 30 to 38 people move to the Tri-County area every day. 55% of those people have no faith background or have left the church. 32 to 38 people move to the Tri-County area every day. And 55% have no faith background or have left the church. Now you walk outside of this welcome center right into this welcome center right here and you look at that mural that's on the wall and within a one mile radius, the numbers are deafening. The harvest truly is plentiful. We don't say it just to have a catchy scripture that we reference or to do something cool at 10.02 in the morning. I know I'm on a soapbox right now and I apologize. But I really, really want to urge you, church, Simple as simple as taking your phone and setting an, a reminder for your alarm to go off at 10.02 in the morning. It may seem like something that you'll just get into a, a repetitive pattern of doing it. It just becomes blank and you won't do it. I want to encourage you, if you're not doing it, please join with us at 10.02 in the morning to pray. Even if it's simply saying, God, your word says the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out labors into his harvest. God, we ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's joining the mission. That's a very easy way of beginning to get on board with the mission, is praying for the harvest that is around us that desperately needs the gospel. The last little sub-point for this second point is that God is judge and rescuer. God is judge and rescuer. It comes from verses 30 through 31, and I will read them together. The time of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul's words here are sobering for us to understand the time of ignorance that Paul mentions the time has come where that is now past. There has been revelation by God given through creation. General revelation. We walk outside and we see the handiwork of God. I remember yesterday sitting on the balcony yesterday morning after the storm had passed and looking out at the ocean and being able to see that beautiful horizon and seeing the sun over to my right hand side start to break through the clouds. And being breathless there in that moment to say, wow, God, look what you created. But 
See, that time has come and gone for the ignorance, as Paul says. The time has come for those to repent. Because just as we just read in verse 31, he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, Jesus Christ. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. God will judge at the appointed time. Those who are not saved will be separated from God forever and will suffer in hell. It is hard to understand and grasp, but it is the reality and truth of the Bible. People that we know and love are lost and they desperately need the gospel. They need Jesus. And we are commanded by God to proclaim the good news to them. See, there's a great assurance that this will happen where God is judge, but also rescuer because he has overcome the grave. He paid the price for the sins of all mankind and he has defeated the grave and resurrected from it and has ascended at the right hand of God where he will come back on that day. So we must walk in step with the Holy Spirit, following Him. We must know our context. And very briefly, lastly, number three, we celebrate God's work, big and small. I just want to say something about that before we look at these verses. That big and small, that's there for us to understand by our own perceptions. Because I think it's really easy for us to stop and say, well, yeah, that, yeah, God did that, but it, it was just a small thing. No, no, no. Anytime that God does something, it is huge. Because He is moving and He is working. We can see here in verse 32 that Paul says, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, they mocked. But others said, well, we, hear you, we will hear you again about this. You see, there are people there that mock Paul after he has just proclaimed the gospel to them. Can you imagine it? Maybe that has happened to you. Maybe that's been a similar response that you have experienced. You've told that person that you have been begging and pleading God over. You've told them about the gospel and they looked at you and they just mocked you in the face. As difficult as that may have been, praise God for the fact that you actually shared the gospel with them. That's huge. The reality is that we are going to have people that are going to mock us. They're going to think we're crazy. They don't want nothing to hear about it, especially as the culture keeps going the way that it's going. But you see there, there were others that didn't mock. There were others that said, we want to hear more about this. Look at 33. So Paul went out of their midst. And then 34. Some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius and Arapagate and a woman named Demarius and others with them. See, Paul walks away from them there in that moment where he is and he goes off and some of these people follow him and some believe. What's the helpful reminder for us here? 
We are not responsible for the salvation of others. You've heard us say that before. We'll say it again. Understand, you are not responsible for a person's salvation, church. You are responsible to plant the seed or to water it, as Paul talks about in Corinthians. How do we do that? We stay obedient to the Lord. We walk in step with the Holy Spirit. We know our context and we learn these things from the mission, from the example that we have. And we celebrate God's work. If you're the type that you say, you know what, I, I, I've never shared the gospel with anybody. That first time you share the gospel with somebody, you need to tell us because we're going to celebrate that. You may say, well, Brian, I've shared the gospel before, but man, there's this one guy. I know desperately he needs to hear the gospel, but I am terrified to talk with him about it because of what his response is going to be. Prayerfully, we will pray that you have the boldness to go and proclaim the gospel to them, and we will celebrate the fact that you did that. We are commanded to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel, period. I've already said it. We're going to be mocked. There's no way around it. We will have others that do not profess Christ. But they may say, you know what? I I'm not interested in that right now, but maybe we can talk more about that in the future. That's a win. That's a win. Because you were obedient to follow Christ. And then we may actually see people come to faith and repent and believe because somebody at some point in time planted. Somebody at some point in time came and watered. And there in that moment, while you're with the person, God gave the growth. And you got to be there to witness it. I just want to close by asking just a couple of things. What did you learn from Paul's account in Athens? Just think through that. Maybe jot a note of that. Go home this afternoon. Eat your lunch, sit there and watch some football, but maybe pull out your journal and say, you know what, what did I learn from that today? The other thing I would ask you is, where are you on the journey yourself? Have you chosen to truly join and engage the mission? Because our prayer and what we see God moving and working and doing is that we will see through the working of His church the fulfillment of the Great Commission in this generation. And the only way we're going to be able to do that on the mission is by loving Him and loving people. Are you intentionally doing this? Or are you intentionally holding back? And if you're holding back, my question is why? And I want to encourage you. Be a student of the circle of accountability where God has placed you. Examine it. Study it. Know the context of where you are. And ask God to use you to be bold. To step out. To begin relationships. To engage with people. To proclaim and demonstrate the gospel. Worship team is going to come forward in just a moment. I just want to take a moment for us to stop and reflect. I'm going to be quiet in just a moment. Maybe there's something that you just want to journal right now. You want to make note of.
You want to ask God, Lord, what is it that you're wanting me to do next? So I'm going to leave it quiet for a moment for reflection. And then I'll pray for us and our worship team will lead us in the closing song. Great are you, Lord, one of my favorite songs. During this time, if there's something you need prayer for, there's something you have questions of and you just can't wait, I'll be here available. Pastor Walter's here available. We want to help you. We want to celebrate with you. So let's pray and ask the Lord how he wants us to respond. Will you join me? Father in heaven, Lord, we want to not let this time pass us, Lord, and not intentionally ask you what it is that you want. So, Lord, my prayer right now is, Father, what is it that you would have for your people here at Holmes Avenue to do next? In each of our individual lives where we believe that you're moving and working and guiding us as a church body together, Lord, what is it that we can do in our individual lives to engage and join in the mission? How is it that we can take our next steps to begin to love you more and begin to love the people that are around us? Lord, it starts by coming before you and saying, Father, here am I. Asking, Lord, for your wisdom. Asking, Lord, for your direction. Lord, that is our prayer. Father, what is it that you want for us right now? Father, maybe it is to take that step and to engage the mission. Maybe there's people that have just been kind of just here and, and, and just going through the motions to say, I'm, I'm doing what I need to do, Right? But no, there's something more that they want to step out in and begin to follow you with. Lord, maybe there's somebody that doesn't even know how to begin to engage the mission because they don't know you, Lord. And maybe today is the day of salvation for that person. Maybe we will see by chance, Lord, the, the person coming forward to see the growth that you have provided. Or maybe today has just been a day of a seed planted or watered. But Lord, regardless of what the day is for each of us, God, we pray and we ask, Lord, earnestly, God, this is our prayer, that you'd have your way. Have your way with each of us. Call us to repentance if we need to repent and confess. Call us to step out boldly in faith. Whatever it is, Lord, may you have your way. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.